Welcome to Chili's Trans Tuesdays. Today we're talking about cis allyship or lack thereof. And not from transphobes and bigots, but from people who think of themselves as trans allies. So buckle up, we're gonna crash into performative allyship to false allyship. Ooh. Spooky. I'm Tilly Bridges, your host, and I'm joined by my writing partner, my best friend, my wife, our token cis representation, the charge cord to the smartphone of my life, Susan Bridges. <laughs> Hello. Remember, cis isn't a bad word. If you think so, you're probably a bad person. All right. All right. Our guest this week is Jack Knoxville, who was the first trans mask candidate for political office in the Southern United States. He's an activist and digital strategist who specializes in building power for marginalized communities. As the founder and executive director of Trans Empowerment Project, Jack is also an award-winning transformational leader who is an expert at creating and executing strategic initiatives to build power and achieve movement-wide goals. Welcome, Jack. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for the welcome. Well, thank you for being here. Do you want to talk a little bit about the Trans Empowerment Project and what it is and what, what you're doing with it? Because I think it's really important and I, I want to help get the word out about it. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And sure, I would love to. So Trans Empowerment Project, we are a nationally recognized 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are actually one of the largest providers of direct aid for the trans community in the United States at this point. Started very small with a clothing swap. And now at this point, we have multiple programs and projects that are really designed to kind of begin building a new system of support, especially for queer, trans, and intersex people of color, and just a new system that's meant to empower this community to actually be able to live our best lives rather than deal with the nonsense that we currently deal with. A lot of times we, we really try to focus most of our work on cultural change rather than systemic change because, you know, Trump showed us that anybody with a big enough eraser could come along and, and erase decades uh, of yeah. people's hard work. So we are focused on really establishing better relationships and helping others to understand what and who trans people are. Yeah, that's amazing. And how, how, but okay, it's amazing that you started with a clothing swap. How did it grow from that into what it's become? <sighs> Where do I begin? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, when I started with the clothing swap thing, it was obviously for my local area in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah. I heard so many trans people while I was running for office. Uh, there were a lot of trans people I connected with and so many folks, you know, really talked about those shared feelings of isolation, dysphoria, depression, yeah, and not really having spaces to feel 
connected or have any community. And so I'm like, this is ridiculous. I mean, we are all such badasses. Why are we <laughs> suffering separately and in silo? Like we should come together and support each other. Yeah. Um, hence, hence the, you know, the birth of trans empowerment project, because that's what it was about is, is creating that empowerment. And so for me, part of how that growth came was a lot of word of mouth. And also I actually got a job with one of those organizations that really touts themselves as one of the largest providers of trans health care, but they don't actually provide care. They provide trans health services, but not care. And that's definitely part of where we're going today, I think, in, in our conversation. But uh, through all of my work, honestly, when I started this organization, I was working five jobs. I was doing Uber, Grubhub, Lyft, uh, slinging my artwork and hustling that way. And I also got a job for working with a marketing company as a brand ambassador. And I was helping to launch all of the new Metro PCS stores that were hitting East Tennessee. And in doing that, I was traveling a lot all around East Tennessee and parts of Virginia. And everywhere I went, of course, I'm like talking about Trans Empowerment Project and whatnot. And I ended up developing a pretty good friendship with some folks that worked at a couple of different Planned Parenthoods in East Tennessee and also Western North Carolina. And through my friendships with them, I was presented with an opportunity to attend a conference in DC, which was a great networking opportunity. And then I ended up getting a job with the Planned Parenthood Action Fund as a digital organizer. So it was literally my job to talk to 386,000 people across the country that identified wow. largely as queer, trans, intersex, um, well, LGBTQIA folks, yeah, and typically under the age of 40. So that was another great opportunity. And so, yeah, I've just continuously been pounding the pavement more than anything and doing lots of uh, talks and conversations. And then on top of that is like all of the work that we've done, you know, really just has made enough of an impact that folks are sharing our work. So all of our growth has been very organic. It's, it's kind of taken a minute, but in the last seven years, I mean, we went from this little idea, a little concept to where we're at now. So we've already provided direct aid for at least 2,500 trans folks across the U.S. and also in several other countries. Wow, that's so amazing. And, you know, the having community and other queer people, you know, who know what you're going through or can share in those experiences is so important. And especially, I think, in the South and in the red states where it's it's even harder maybe for queer people to find each other. So I'm really, really glad that there's people out there like you that are that are doing stuff like this because it's so important and it helps so many people. So thank you for doing what you do. You're welcome. And thank you for seeing me. Because that, you know, that that also I think will go in, go along very nicely with our conversation today. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That that's been very difficult. But I will say that the lack of visibility is also a contributing factor to our growth which yeah. we can get into as we get through this conversation. Yeah. Okay. So then let me ask you this um, so that people can uh, get to know your experiences a little better. For you, what's been the best part about transitioning? Um, being able to have 
even the smallest amount of space to figure out who I am, not what other people assume I am or who I, who they think I should be, but who I actually am, which I didn't get a chance to start exploring until I was, you know, midway through my thirties. So that, that has been really amazing. It's also been amazing to move out of a space where, uh, although there's obviously quite a bit of trauma still happening for me personally in my, my very close circle, like the, the amount of trauma that I was dealing with, new trauma that I was dealing with every single day before I transitioned um, has really subsided as I've, as I've grown into my own power. That's wonderful. We also like to give people the full picture. So like on the other side of the coin, what's been one of the most difficult things about transitioning for you? To be honest with you, I think, I think the, the most intense part and, and one of the most difficult parts has been realizing just how deep the hate and ignorance in this country actually is. Yeah. As a, as a disabled multiracial trans person um, who is a person of color and has spent most of my life in the South, I grew up in a very, very beyond toxic environment. My, my house was very abusive. Um, I was literally isolated away from all other people of color by my white father and that the amount of trauma and nonsense that I went through, especially as a kid, young adult, uh, even up until today, uh, you know, the, the things that I dealt with for so long, um, because everything around me was so whitewashed, it was always made to, it was always presented like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm the, I'm the problem. I'm this terrible, horrible person who, you know, is responsible for every catastrophe that's ever happened on the entire planet. Uh, And so I unfortunately shouldered a lot of that for a very long time. And it wasn't until I really had that space to dig in more on myself and, you know, understanding more about transitioning and trans issues that I started to understand how transphobia especially is very rooted in white supremacy. And then also throughout all of that has been seeing how much racism exists within our community of transness. Uh, And yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a big problem. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. So yeah, all of that stuff. And then uh, another issue that most folks don't know about, don't talk about, don't realize whatever, whatever it is. So for trans people of color, we, transition into worse social situations more often than not yeah Uh, for for myself honestly the the level of who the level of aggressions that have come from police officers uh as i have transitioned in itself has been really scary like i've almost lost my life on the side of the road multiple times because now instead of being perceived as like you know uh, a female and all that other stuff. Uh, now I'm I'm the scary black guy that, uh, yeah, that they that they have in their minds. So yeah. it's been a lot. It's been a lot to process. Wow, I'm so sorry you have to go through all of that. And you know, I 
You're definitely right that there is a big uh, racism problem in the trans community. And I always try to, to call it out when I see it and tell people that it's, you know, it's not okay and what you're doing, this is why it's wrong. And so often it's just met with silence, even from other people who want to be allies, which is, you know, again, kind of what we're talking about today. So um, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I wish there was an easy solution to this, but it's, you know, it's a big systemic problem through all marginalized communities in this country and uh, probably in most of the world, sadly. And just from like my experiences online, it seems like white straight women are the most vocal opponents Hmm. on the internet and they tend to be well off and they tend to be racist and on top of everything else like you find a transphobe and you're going to find out they're phobic against a lot of they're racist stuff. and they're sexist Most yeah likely. no bigotry comes in just one flavor right they're all lumped together so. right and they have a certain amount of privilege which makes it even harder yeah it's it's an uphill battle for sure yeah before we dive in uh, do you want to let people know where they can find you online if they would like more information about all that you're doing after listening sure yeah, that'd be great. If if anybody out there is interested in connecting with us, uh, you can totally visit transempowerment.org. Uh, that is the hub. That is the place to connect to us wherever else you may want to connect to us. Uh, but we are on Facebook, Twitter. We are just starting our Twitch work. We've got a TikTok out there. Um, so unfortunately, not all of those platforms will even allow us to use the word trans in our username. Yeah. So there's not a, a not a consistent uh, name for us, but you can totally look up trans empowerment, especially trans empowerment project uh, national. That's that's us. That is exactly how to find us. But transempowerment.org will get you there no matter what. Excellent. All right. So for the folks listening, if you'd like a little additional context before we dive in, you can see my Trans Tuesday on No Escape 2, Some Escape, due to cis allyship, to learn just how important even one lone ally can be to bad experiences for trans folks in situations that maybe never even occurred to you. You'll also want to see my original thread on performative allyship, what it is, why it's bad, and the harm it causes when you don't understand us well enough to be an actual ally. And if you want a little extra understanding on how the simplest act of allyship and acceptance from cis people can mean the world to us, See the recent thread and episode five of this very podcast on what real cis acceptance looks like. Now, when I talked about performative allyship the first time, it was about people who claimed to be allies, thought of themselves as allies, but who wouldn't even do the smallest, simplest thing to help us. But this week's topic is a step further in the wrong direction. So what do I mean when I say false allyship? I'm talking about cis people out there who honestly, truly believe they're trans allies, but their allyship goes beyond being performative and is actually dangerous transphobia. Seems unlikely, Tilly, yeah, I hear you, but it's real and it happens to us all the time. Cognitive dissonance is alive in a lot of people out there and it's not confined to those who are openly bigoted or biased against us. If you're not sure what that means, please see the Trans Tuesday on implicit queer phobia. Until you and me and all of us recognize the implicit biases that society forces into us, we can't combat it and work to root it out. Have you encountered situations like this, Jack, with people who claim to be an ally but couldn't see the harm that their own implicit biases were causing? All the time. (laughs) It happens more often than I would love or like to admit, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, it's very true. And you're you're exactly right. It is 
so harmful, especially because these are the folks that we want to look at as helpers and that claim to be helpers, but as you said, are standing in the way of our liberation, standing in the yeah. way of us being able to live our authentic selves. You know, and it's it's also really harmful because of the mental health crisis that it causes when, uh, I'll speak from my own personal experience, um, as, yeah, I have, I have a former employer uh, who loves to call themselves allies. And this one particular person, the, the one who is running the organization is such a, a textbook example of this. So on the outside, to the outside world, she looks like an amazing ally. She is so great about talking about the importance of trans lives and trans visibility and all this other stuff. She actually recently got a new position and made a whole video about, you know, trans people of color are, you know, trans lives are under attack, trans people of color are important, called on Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, all, I mean, all the talking points. But wow. Yeah, but this is somebody who went above and beyond to make sure that I and one other trans person of color who were employed in this organization were kept in temporals, although our jobs were to advocate for everybody else in the world to have health care. We did not have actual health care. Basically, oh. what I got was a very expensive equivalent of $75 off if I went to the doctor. Like it cost me more to have this than it would if I went to a doctor. Yeah. Which was ridiculous. This woman more often than not really dangled the permanency of our jobs in front of us like carrots. There were times that I worked over a hundred hours in a single week because it was as this constant environment of like, we just need to work harder, do more, do this, do that. And no matter what hoops we jumped through, there was never any real authenticity in, in her interest in trying to hire either of us in our permanent roles. And yet here she is. Uh, I mean, yeah, this, this person yeah. is, is spearheading two very large organizations right now both of them love to applaud themselves for being so inclusive, but this is the harm that she's actually doing behind closed doors. So if right. you don't know these stories, you know, you're out here like, wow, she's so great. But, you know, to your point there, that the level of harm and the amount of, uh, I mean, it's, it's trans violence at that point, you know, like yeah. it's not, it's not healthy when you don't have access to healthcare and somebody's keeping you in this gaslit environment and you know keeps triggering all of these these instances and to make matters worse she was so exploited this whole company was extremely exploitive over us telling our stories of harm so that they could of course use that as more leverage to pat yeah. themselves on the back for being these trans allies wow i'm so sorry you had to go through that um it's tough out there well, the example that I was going to use today is of a specific instance, and I do want to caution people listening that it's going to contain some discussion of transphobic comments. And I know and completely understand that not everyone is always in a place where they can handle that, so I just wanted to give you that warning. This is something that happened on October 18, 2022. 
I know it's been a little while since then, so why the heck am I talking about it now? Well, I was in the middle of other Trans Tuesdays at the time, and I had this podcast to launch, and I definitely didn't want to leave the show with this. I was also really angry about it, and I needed time and distance to cool off a bit so I could approach it from a less heated viewpoint. I'm still mad, though, and justified in being so, but I can approach it with more than just pain and swearing at the moment. So on the morning of October 18th, I was stuck in traffic, which is a pretty normal thing for Los Angeles. I was listening to uh, K-Rock, K-R-O-Q, uh, the radio station, because I dig most of the music they play. And their morning programming is the Klein Alley show, which is probably just what you'd expect it to be. Klein and Allie are both cis white people and Allie's a lesbian. I only bring that up because as you'll see, she prides herself on being a member of the queer community and that's gonna be extra relevant. So that morning they were featuring a segment called Tales from the Lift, which was basically rideshare horror stories. There is some ageism and fat phobia from a caller in the segment, all of which goes mostly unchallenged. So if you're going to listen to it, go in with caution. There is a link to it in the show notes, the actual clip. I'll be discussing the relevant part in detail, but you can listen to the full 20-minute segment if you'd like. The portion we're discussing runs from 1445 to 1606. I do have this clip saved just in case they might have deleted it, but as of the recording of this episode, it's still up. I'm not going to play it here because even though this is commentary and criticism about something that was broadcast, it's just not worth it to risk them sending lawyers after me for playing a copyrighted part of their show. But we are going to read a transcript. Okay, so a guy calls in, maybe the third or fourth person they've talked to for this segment, and the conversation proceeds like this, and please excuse any grammar weirdness, I was trying to get an exact transcription, and people speaking extemporaneously often speak in fragments. I'm going to read for the caller, and Susan will read for Klein Alley, and I, I will read any additional notes I added. Okay, so the, it begins this way with the caller. Friday night, I'm beginner Uber. Um, pick up a girl, pick her up at her home, she's going out to a club or something like that. I'm taking her out, we're talking, she's flirting with me, I'm flirting back with her, my truck is dark, I can't see her face good. She has a nice body, whatever, she asks for my number so we can hang out, I say, sure, great, give me your number, blah, blah, blah. Um, as soon as we roll up to the destination where she was going to, um, I look at the place, I look at her, she's getting out of my car, I look at the place, I look back down at her, I notice her kind of really wide back, similar to mine. Klein and Allie laugh. The caller continues, I'm like, wait, what is this place? I look at her, she turns around and says bye to me, and I'm all like, and here Klein affects an overly deep voice. Bye. That's exactly how he did it, okay. Um, wow. The caller continues, she's got that dark tone, you know, heavy voice. Heavy voice. That's what he said, okay, Klein says. Hold on. There's an edit in the file here. I don't know what they cut out. Allie? You should go through with it. Klein laughs. I think it's meant to be. Klein? That's always, it's so funny just because. Allie laughs. Allie? The wide back. Klein. I don't know how much of that I had to cut out, but. Klein laughs. He's thinking to himself, this is the best night ever. Allie? Yeah. Klein. Just started ride here driving right out of the way. Got a beauty in the back. Allie. She's beautiful. Klein. Flirting with me and then all of a sudden gets a big wide man. Klein affects his deeper voice. Goodbye. Allie. See you later. Klein affects his deeper voice. Have a good night, sir. That's the end of the portion of the segment I'm talking about. So let's talk about why it's so awful. 
Okay, so right on the surface, both Klein and that caller are deeply surface level transphobic. And that's bad enough on its own. But you know what? At least it's honest transphobia, if there is such a thing, right? It's all, hey, world, I'm a bigot. It's awful, but you know where you stand right away. But Allie, a queer woman, laughed at their transphobia and didn't at all push back against it. That's what kills me. She should know better. She should be better. And I tried to tell her so. Please note that I said what I had to say to them on Twitter, and I don't need them or any of their transphobic listeners coming to harass me. So please do not go tagging them into the replies or anything on this episode, or you're a part of the problem. I'm going to read my tweets to them, and Susan will read their responses. Me. Hey, so it turns out Klein Alley show on K-Rock thinks the fact that trans women exist is hilarious. Our trying to live our lives in peace is worthy of mockery because really, how dare we? But thanks for letting us know your bigots, I guess. Klein Alley show responds, Allie here, we have no intention whatsoever of making a mockery of the trans community. I'd be a pretty lousy ally to my trans friends if that were the case. Yes, that's what we're saying. We laughed at a simple story about mistaken identity in a ride share during which the person's identity was never revealed. How does that make it better? Yeah, I know. My response, the intent and context was to mock a woman the driver said had, quote, a wide back. And you all then affected lower voices and laughed and laughed. If the intent of that was not, quote, a woman with a wide back and deep voice is hilarious, what was it? There could be no other intent. Whether the person in question was a trans woman, a man in drag, or a cis woman with broad shoulders, your jokes were transphobic, and yes, that makes you a shitty ally. Trans women face the highest level of violence ever, and shit like this enables it. It's bigoted and dangerous. Klein Alley shall reply, I'm not of the belief that laughter translates to phobia and hatred, but I know not all feel that way. There are people out there who are truly transphobic and hateful, and I know deep in my bones that no one on this show is in that camp. I've had enough of these conversations both on and off the air to know how they turn out. Going back and forth on verbiage and intention, it usually ends with no progress when all of this energy could have been spent sending shitty tweets to Tucker Carlson, who she tagged. She tagged him in, yes. So I will bow out feeling genuinely bummed that we lost you. My reply. Something can be transphobic without you actively setting out to hurt trans people. Laughing at the very idea of a woman with broad shoulders and a deep voice is laughing at the reality of existence for many trans women. And it was on a segment about rideshare horror stories. A guy who was repulsed he'd been flirting with us is one step away from guys who murder us for tricking them on dates, tricking them in quotes. And if you can't see how that further normalizes hating us, I don't know what to tell you. It's not hard to say, sorry, we'll do better. Yet here we are. Okay, so needless to say, I've stopped listening to the show. I don't hate K-Rock. I still listen a lot and I'm particularly fond of their late morning and afternoon DJs, Nicole Alvarez and Megan Holiday. I enjoy listening to them, but I'm never putting K-Rock on before 10 a.m. ever again. This is extra egregious to me because K-Rock is easily the most well-known radio station in Los Angeles with a long history and it's listened to around the world. They've got a really big audience, which furthers the importance of them not doing harm to marginalized communities. When someone from a marginalized community tells you something you did perpetuates the harm they face, your job is to listen, apologize, and do better. That's what an ally does. But she got defensive, made excuses, claimed that nobody there could possibly be transphobic, despite the incredibly transphobic things that they all said and laughed at, 
And the transphobia was awful enough on its own. And then, then to be like, but other people are much nastier, as if that matters. Of course they are, and yet all of it is harmful and needs to stop. The last thing we need are people who claim to be allies, who want to think of themselves as allies, but who laugh at the ways we're different. Don't stand up for us and then pull out the, but I have trans friends excuse, that means absolutely nothing. If this is the kind of crap you're going to do, if you catch yourself laughing at bigoted jokes, much less making them, you have some transphobia to deal with. Have you run into anything like this, Jack, that went from the more implicit transphobia right into it, explicit transphobia from someone who still somehow thought they were an actual ally? Oh, yes. Oh, of course. Uh, all of us yeah. go through this, I think. Yeah, I actually remember when all of this was happening, and I'm sorry that you had to deal with that because, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head, I think, with all of your replies and all of the things that you've said here. So first of all, to answer your question more directly, um, I actually very recently lost contact with one of the very few family members I had had a close relationship with because similarly her husband thought it was funny to he posted some there was some meme or something that had to do with some cis guy wearing a dress mm -hmm. and he posted this thing and said you know it still cracks me up every time I see this and all I said to him was what's so funny I yep. never got a response from him, yep. but I got, I got berated by his wife, who is my biological cousin. And we are, we are actually no longer on speaking terms because of course it turned into why am I so angry? And of, he would never, you know, say anything that was transphobic and, oh my gosh, like I am yeah. just the most horrible person for assuming that he could ever be like this. Uh, so I understand that rhetoric very well. It's also the same kind of rhetoric that most racists use anytime yep. they're, they're being racist yep. or problematic. And I think that to compound our problem, especially with transphobia, is that there is not enough, first of all, there's not enough education on racism to begin with, but yep. let alone the levels of racism. So mm -hmm. most people have no comprehension that transphobia is racist yep. or that you can use transphobia. You can be a white person or a white passing person and use transphobia against somebody else who is white. It's still racist. They don't understand that because, again, it's that lack of understanding and lack of education around anti-racism and white supremacy and even actual history. So all of that erasure, all of that ignorance comes from that same exact place. And unfortunately, you know, it is the same behaviors. Like I said, when whenever um, a person of color says, hey, you know what? I'm not okay with you acting like this. It yeah. is racist. And then the next thing is like the clutching of the pearls and the, yeah. uh, oh my gosh, not saying, me. I would never feel be racist. Like, yeah, saying they're racist it's is worse, worse than, than they're racist. They did. It's, it's horrible. Yes, yes. Yeah. And that's, that is a great point because one thing uh, that I experience quite often, I talk about white supremacy all of the time. And I don't care who it makes uncomfortable because I'm actually very uncomfortable dealing with it. And this yeah. is, this. that's exactly my point while I talk about this stuff is like, I've had a lot of people get 
right away, I mean, as soon as they see the words white supremacy, they're like, why are you angry? And I'm like, if you're assuming because I'm saying words like white supremacy that I'm angry, first of all, that's on you. And second, like I am angry that white supremacy continues to exist and that anger is valid. It is not a dismissal of my, of, you know, of the intentions of my conversation. It's not a dismissal of the harm that's happening because somebody out there doesn't like the use of a word like white supremacy, but, you know, these are the real conversations we've got to have, not just, Mm -hmm. you know, here with trans people, but, and I love that you are doing this on a podcast and having this conversation so that more people are getting clued in and, and made aware of the root of that transphobia. And a lot of folks, when when thinking about white supremacy, like I said, they just, you know, first of all, white supremacy to, to a lot, I live in the South, so I have to generalize this a little bit, but out here, for instance, the, the general misunderstanding about racism is that it's really just using the N-word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish it was that simple because then I could say like, I actually don't experience white supremacy nearly as much as other folks. But to be honest, obviously it's a lot more. It is these microaggressions of doing things like laughing at the notion of a trans woman or, you know, any woman with a lower voice, you know, which has been used if we're if we're talking about the way that white supremacy polices people's existence and bodies, and why all of this is, or why transphobia is rooted in white supremacy, it really goes back to look at look at like the way that white folks have looked at people of color, their bodies and stuff, and the way that our bodies have been sexualized and yeah. policed. You know, like even fairly recently, Michelle Obama. How mm. many times have we seen seen the conversation where all these bigots are saying Michelle Obama's a man? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why? Because her body type is a little bit different than a cis white woman who is of European descent. And that hatred has been brewing for quite a while. But yeah, we, we've really just got to start untangling this, this wad of uh, stringed lights, if you will, that I feel like we're dealing with every time we run into these issues. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, oh, did you have something, Susan? Go I ahead. actually wanted to say, yeah. I, I appreciate you using the word discomfort because I feel like that is at the root of how so many white people get all up in. Yes. Because a little bit of discomfort is completely unimaginable. Because their lives are so privileged. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that, and then they see it as an attack that they feel uncomfortable. Right. And, you know, I think that's, that's actually ties in right to what I was going to say, which is that these implicit biases, our society is white supremacist, it is transphobic, it is racist, it is sexist, it's misogynistic, and it's ableist, and it works all of these things into us without our knowledge, right? And so sometimes we are going to mess up. And when somebody calls us out from a marginalized community and says, hey, this is wrong, this is harmful, if you are an actual ally, your, your job is to listen. This is how we learn and, and root those things out, right? Getting defensive doesn't make it go away. You admit it, you apologize, and you work to root it out so that you can be the true ally, which is the only response that doesn't end in more transphobia or more racism or you know more bigotry of any kind. 
it's not always intentional. I think like with a lot of this, people don't realize, like when you ask that guy, what's so funny? They don't realize what they're laughing at. And because society has conditioned us to do that. And so if you want to be a real ally, when that happens, yeah, you need to think, why am I laughing at that? Why was this meant to be funny? And then you get to the root of what's underneath it. And that's how you- Actually examining your behavior. (laughs) Right. And that's how you become a better person and a better ally. But it's true though, that like so many people think if I didn't call you a name or a slur, I wasn't a I'm not racist, or I'm not bigoted, yeah. I'm not transphobic. And exactly. it's like trying to tell them, no, it's bigger than that. It's, it's so much system. bigger than that. It's, it, it's yeah. everything. Yeah. And it's... then they're like, well, no, how can that be? That would mean someone did something wrong that reflects on me, a privileged person. Yeah. That can't be. I'm a good person. I'm right. I'm one of the good ones. Yeah. You know? Well, if you want to be one of the good ones, you have to learn these things and you have to root out these. And there's a lot of biases. that needs to be done. Yeah. There's a lot of thought and reading yeah. and thinking and talking. Yeah. <laughs> but if you believe in equality and that everyone should be equal and have the same rights, then that's what you have to do. There's just no other way around it. And th- this was an amazing discussion. Thank you so much for being here, Jack. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, can I also, I just want to offer uh, one additional thing here. And yes, please. Thank you. That that really comes, um, maybe it's a little bit bigger than just one thing. It's kind of connected to a few things, but there's, there's so much demand for perfectionism yeah. from everybody out there. Okay. This is, this is, this is what I think is a bit of a barrier for us, especially when it comes to potential allies. And this is something that I hear often too, is like when it comes to asking allies to show up for us, a lot of folks have great intentions. They want to protect this community, but they are so terrified of getting it wrong and then being Mm -hmm. dragged that they say nothing. And this the the purpose of me bringing this up is because first of all for allies to say nothing is 100% the wrong thing that yeah. is one way to guarantee that you're getting it wrong is to say and do nothing um i would rather somebody make a mistake and in, in the way that they're advocating for me than to not advocate at all so that's that's number 1 for any allies out there listening that are like that's me. I've done that. Yeah, don't do that. Like show up. If you have questions on how to show up for people, like you can ask the individual person. Um, one great example of that is when I was very early into my transitions and having to navigate public restrooms, the anxiety, the stress, all of the things there. I did yeah. have a couple of folks that were so cool and just saying like, hey, how can I help? And then it gave me the space to say, I don't want to have to go into a bathroom by myself. Or yep. if I go into a bathroom by myself and somebody opens their mouth and says something, I personally, like, I have enough trauma that, like, I don't know how that's going to go for me and I don't want to be unsafe. So if you could be the person, then that yeah. would be helpful. And so ask that question to, to people that you want to be an ally for, especially if you're not sure how to show up. So that's number one. The other part of my bringing this up is for our community, because I see this nonsense all the time 
We have got to stop dividing ourselves from potential allies. We have got to stop demanding absolute perfection from everybody all of the time. And when they make one little mistake, kicking them to the curb, because that yeah. is not going to get us anywhere other than more of the same. And it also perpetuates that fear that our allies are having in not wanting to get it wrong. We have to create and provide more spaces where we can all be messy together. And yeah. by messy, that doesn't mean that that's an excuse to like be problematic. It just means that if you make a mistake, I'm not gonna drag you for it. We might have a conversation about why it was a mistake or how problematic it was, but that doesn't mean that I'm gonna hate you and block you and we're never gonna talk again. But that is the culture we got into, especially during COVID. Yeah. And I'm, I see it way too often. I also see way too many trans people attacking other trans people as they're trying to figure out their own transitions. All of this, y'all, is so rooted in white supremacy. For anyone who wants to learn more about at least like some top level stuff with white supremacy and why, why all of this is so rooted in that, just look up the 15 characteristics of white supremacy. They are like magical and will really help you to open your eyes and understand the different layers and the complexities of white supremacy. But yeah, we, we, we really, if, especially to make things better and to move into a place where we have more allies and accomplices than not, we've got to start also making space for other folks too. Because yeah. I know for myself, you know, when I when I first started transitioning, I didn't have quite the understanding of all of the language and terminology and stuff sure. around transitions. And so I can't expect my allies to to automatically have that uh, level of understanding, especially because we all know it's taught in the public school system and it's not that. So yeah. let's make space for each other and yeah. help each other to move into that more positive place. So we have less of the performative nature and more actual accomplices. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because one thing that I should have mentioned is that my hope when I reached out to, to uh, K-Rock on Twitter was that they would hear me and understand. If Ali had responded and said, oh my God, you're right, that was awful. I'm going to work to to not do that anymore. I would I would have had no problem. I'd still be listening to that show. That's all I wanted because that shows me that you are an ally. I'm, I'm not mad that she made a mistake. I'm mad that she didn't care that it hurt people and worked to fix it. So as a final thought, I just want to say that trans people have to deal with more than enough of this crap from active bigots. The absolute last thing we need is this flaming trash from people who claim to be our friends do better. We're human beings and we deserve better. Tilly Bridges and Transmission. Tilly's Trans Tuesdays is hosted by Tilly Bridges and Susan Bridges with audio editing and sound mixing by Jillian Morgan. Special thanks to Daisy and Jane for the use of Sorry Not Sorry as our show's theme music. Please stop by and show your support at daisyandjane.bandcamp.com and soundcloud.com slash daisyandjane. You can find me at Tilly Bridges on Twitter and Hive, on Mastodon at tillybridges at mastodon.social, at facebook.com slash tillysbridges, and on Insta at heckyeahtillybridges. And you can find Susan on all of those at Susan L. Bridges. The Google Doc and social media versions of this week's topic and all past topics 
are available at TillysTransTuesdays.com. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening. Is it spooky? Is it too real? We'll find out. Okay.